Hello and welcome to Help Me Buy a Property Podcast. This is part two of the episode one. And so very quick sort of debrief from episode one. We talked about how to transition from buy and hold strategies to buy and develop strategies. We also discussed why is development an important part of this transition and who are the people who would usually transition or would want to transition and why is it so important for people to really transition. Now, We also discussed in this particular episode, who are the people for which transition to property development or creating a business out of property does not make sense. And so also what happens to people who resist this change or who resist this transition when it actually makes sense for them to do this. Finally, we discussed how to systematically transition from buy and hold strategies to buy and develop strategy, aka how to transition from mediocre investing to high net worth investing while creating the business of property. Thank you for listening to us and do stay till the very end understanding how to build successful property portfolios while creating a business out of property. Take care. Hello and welcome to the second episode of, or should I say the second part of Help Me Buy Property Podcast, where we are talking about how to create businesses from property investing. Let me introduce you to my co-host, Miss Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl. How are you today? I am very well, most as always. Yeah, this is really cool because it's it, we're talking about growth and we're talking about transitioning and, and people diving into another level of property, property investing, development. So yeah, let's let's dive into, like it doesn't make sense for everyone to do it, right? It's not something that we're saying you have to, you have to take this path. Um, you, we, we talk about you need to consider all the factors. So what are some of the things and to consider about when it actually isn't probably the right choice for you? Definitely, definitely. And, you know, like for some people, of course, you know, real estate is a passive investment. And so um, they wouldn't want to create a passive income or, or, or create an active business out of real estate, right? It's, it's especially in the times like today where we are through inflationary pressures, et cetera, turbulence, tough times. People don't want to, you know, put their hand up and say, okay, we're, we're happy to take this risk, right? And so it's okay for a lot of people to not change. Um, and keep property as a passive investment rather than an active investment. And the first cap of the rank would potentially be the business owners. You know, um, you wouldn't expect Jeff Bezos, you know, to do property development, right? Because amazing business, and he, you would want business owners to basically put their full energy into their business rather than diverting their energy into different things. Yeah. Well, I actually, I mean, just on that point, I mean, a lot of, a lot of, we'd be talking about billionaires, a lot of billionaires have built their wealth from property as well. And so I think, you know, if you look at business as property as a business, a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners have different, different businesses as well. I guess if you, you are still building up your business, I'd say you're in that growth stage where your focus should be on building that business and you haven't quite got it to the point where sort of operates on itself, then growing another business is probably spreading yourself too thin. In which case we always talk about there's always solutions, right? Like if you can't do it, joint venture with someone or you might engage someone to do development management or whatever that is. So 
it doesn't mean that you can't. It's just sort of consideration as to how much time expertise that you have to actually dedicate towards this new property business. Definitely. And it, it comes down to, you know, when you talk about the growth in the business, you know, how good are you with delegating? How comfortable are you with using experts, right? And so if you are one of those people who wants to do it all yourself and you have a very low risk appetite, then you would be definitely stretching yourself very thin when you're trying to create a business out of property, right? One thing that I always say to people who run successful businesses is, you know, property is a great vehicle to park your cash flows from your business and create it into tangible assets that would, you know, form into generating continuous income, which is great. But it doesn't mean that, you know, that transition needs to be you doing developments. You know, that transition could be you, you safely mm. stay on the shore and keep doing, you know, you know, buy and hold strategies. Yeah. And there are some really good buy and hold strategies, especially if you decide to go into high cash flow as well. Um, we're not saying that, that, that buy passive investing is bad. It's more so what, you know, what are the considerations for you if you want to, to take it to another another level. Definitely. And I think the key point also there is that when you think about retirement, and you know, a lot of people that I talk to, they look at property as a way to fund their retirement or lead a comfortable retirement, right? And when I ask mm-hmm. them that question and they say, okay, I want to retire, but I want to keep doing something. And that's something in property, be it a business out of property, right? Now, if you have mm. a business of your own that is going to see you all the way to retirement, then you don't really have a need to create an extra business to make your retirement uncomfortable because then you are again, you know, uh, riding into both, right? And so, you know, yeah. your, that focus is quite there when you're thinking, oh, you know, yes, you know, I can see myself doing this till the very end, right? I always say this that, you know, retirement is not a point in time. It's not that, you know, you hit 60 on one mo- Monday morning oh, yeah. and, you know, you retire all of a sudden. It's a phase, right? Um, and so yeah. a lot of what we are doing right now potentially would be us doing it all the way to, you know, till we are down in the grave, right? Because we love what you're doing. And well, so that's what retirement really means. Yeah, 100%. When, when Moss and I have no teeth and have to wear real glasses, yes. then, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll still be doing and retirement, I think it's very different to what it was a few generations ago. You used to work till you had, you know, you were given sort of the, the ticket to retirement and you're like, oh, I don't have to do it. We're, we're, we're in such a dynamic world these days where, you know, people can work remotely and everything else. So you're absolutely right. about. I think it's more sort of a, a phase, a phase of your life uh, or a state of mind rather than the actual I'm going into re- retirement. Yeah. Um, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it's just consideration as to how much time you have to put towards building that, that new business. Definitely. Definitely. And I think last but not the least is, you know, there are people who are just there with low risk appetite. They don't have that sort of risk appetite to go in that direction mm. and take, you know, these high risk, high return sort of approach. And so, you know, you would, yeah. be, you would we talk to a lot of people where, you know, they come and talk to us and they would be like, oh, must, you know, I don't want to buy an even regional property. You know, I don't even want to go in areas that I don't even know of, right? I want to buy in a suburb, even if it's negatively geared, that's fine. I'm going to stay in my lane because this is the lane that I choose. You know, I don't want to deviate from this lane. 
I don't want, I have no interest in becoming a billionaire. I have no interest in making, you know, $20 million net wealth, you know? And so I meet those people. And so of course, you know, for them, it just does not make sense to, you know, explore the development side because, you know, they like a peaceful life. You know, they want to sleep, you know, really peacefully without having that sort of thinking about, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes when you're doing development and you and you have challenging days, you sort of do think, I'm like, why couldn't I just be a passive investor? Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I, I think it does challenge you. It does challenge you, oh, right? Yeah. I think, you know, you need to be in a constant mode of problem solving, right? I, um, I remember yeah. my mentor telling me that um, when I was doing my developments and I explained my business to him, he said to me, that most you are in a business of managing complexities. You know, development is just the stamp that you put on it, right? All you're doing is just managing complexities because that's what development is all about. And so if you're not, you know, if you're not born or, or it's not sown into your soul as to how to manage complexities, how to respond to some of these complexities and manage challenges, then of course, for a time, you know, development is not for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's, that's it. And so what happens? I mean, we talk about some of the, the people that might not be, be interested to transition. How about the ones where, you know, it makes sense for you, but there's the hesitation and possibly procrastination to actually move, move forward. How do you, I mean, you deal with a lot of, of investors as well. Like how do you sort of guide them through? Mm. Because you're not, not that you put them through, like how do you guide them through this process of going, yeah, I really want to explore it. Yeah, I really want to do it, but I don't know how. Ultimately, and I don't know how I it's a big mindset change when you are thinking about taking that transition, especially like people on PAYZ income earners who are resisting change or, or have the risk appetite but are resisting change as to, okay, I want to move in that direction. One thing to understand and know that is no matter how good your team is, uh, you know, I'll use a cricket as an example. No matter how good a team is, you would not always hit a six or a boundary on every ball. And so every property that you're going to acquire is not going to give you 40% growth or 80% growth. There would be properties in your portfolio that does not perform, or there would be properties that mm-hmm. outperform everything else, but then there would be properties that are just that dud. Okay. And so if you're doing it yourself, and if you're not fast enough to remediate these properties, these properties basically overshadow the good returns because then your overall portfolio becomes a mediocre portfolio like anyone else. And so if you are taking decent risk, then the idea is to kill that dependence on the serviceability and join others in generating you know, bigger wealth. And so when you're resisting change, what you're resisting is you know, that generational wealth that we are talking about, you're resisting you going into that sort of mindset of, okay, I want to keep moving forward. And so you don't hear the bank saying no, and then just do nothing, right? You know, you, you go into that mode of, okay, you know, I have a property in my portfolio that can be developed. Let's pull it out. Let's add more equity. Let's manufacture equity and keep moving forward. The other thing. And what I was going to say, sorry, it's in terms of, you know, business business owners as well. We talk about I mean, I like to talk about business side of things. Um, where does it make sense that they start to look at, you know, go, doing doing something else, and you know, what what are the implications of them not not doing it? Yeah, and so naturally, you know, when you are you know doing buy and hold, you are at that phase of either hitting maturity in your portfolio 
or having a portfolio that is not efficient enough to generate the yields or the growth that you are intending to get. And so the banks have said no to you and you can't transition it out. And so if you don't have a strategy in place, if you haven't thought this through, then you are stuck. And so the only strategy that you would follow is, okay, I need to sell something out of my portfolio or just suck it up and, you know, ride the wave, you know, be it interest rate rises, right? Yeah. And so for people to transition, you know, it's important that, you know, you have these properties in your portfolio where you, ma- where you can manufacture the equity and still keep moving the profile forward. Okay, so you don't, you know, get stuck into into anything, you know, when, when you have a sustainable property portfolio. I'll use a very simple example from one of my clients' perspective. And so they had the portfolio at the start when they started off. Uh, one of the properties that they had in their portfolio was quite bad and, and performed and did nothing over the last sort of seven years. You know, they bought something in 2015, did nothing for them, you know, all the way up to 2022. Um, they had some properties that r- did really well, but that particular property didn't do any, anything well. And so they were stuck from a bank's perspective that there is no serviceability, you know, they can't move forward. And so their natural instinct was, okay, I'll sell the bad, bad eggs, right? Because that's what you do. You don't mm. want to sell the good stuff. You want to sell the bad stuff. But, you know, just, just like you bought the bad stuff at the wrong time, no one wants to buy a bad stuff because there is a lot of educated investors out there who knows that, yeah. okay, this is not an investment-grade property. And so they spent close to about $8,000 speaking to two agents, marketing it again and again, you know, trying to sell it, right? Yeah, and so when they interesting. Yeah. came to me super frustrated, you know, banks keep saying no, and, you know, they are super stuck. And so my question to them was, yes, you want to get rid of this, but there are th- these two other properties. Have you thought about how to push the yields on some of these properties, right? And so one of these properties was in Perth. And so we looked at that property. We helped them convert their property and push the yield literally from 4% all the way to 8.5%. Okay. And so that mm. gave them a bit of, you know, liquidity on their, you know, borrowing side of things. And that gave them enough money to basically say, okay, how do we now look at this property, which is a bad property and, and offload it? And so over the period of, I think, six months or eight months time, um, they put plans on their property to make it a bit more nicer, okay? I've staged the property mm. and then offloaded it on a six-month settlement. And, you know, that property basically settled last year, mid-last year. And that was the way that the property portfolio was remediated while pushing the yields up on their already, and I call it manufactured equity again. And yeah. so developments doesn't have to be with a big bank. And now they have, you know, liquidity and the serviceability to play forward. And so these are the properties yeah, that we're talking up. about. Yeah. And so when you're talking about transitions, you're talking about taking the next step, you know, continuously moving in the same direction rather than, you know, feeling stuck. You know, there is a lot of people that I'm talking to, especially right now in a scenario like this, where, you know, they've caught a lot of growth, okay, in this particular client that I'm thinking about, they've caught so much growth in their portfolio, but because there were always cash flow strain, you know, they are feeling the burn. And now every property is costing them close to about 14 and one property in itself costing about $18,000 a year to hold. And so they're like, yeah, ouch. you know, like three properties in total is costing them like close to about $60,000. Okay. And I was like, well, that's a lot of money, right? Because this is disposable income mm-hmm. that you're paying out to hold these mm-hmm. properties. And now, so their instant is, okay, I can't do anything with these properties because I need to sell in order to salvage. And again, same mentality. I'll find the worst property to sell so that I can get out. But that worst property, no one wants to buy. And so that's, you need to break yeah. that cycle. And the cycle only gets broken 
by having properties that you can manufacture equity on. And so we've talked about, you know, the risks. We've talked about, you know, where it makes sense for people to transition. We've talked about people, what happens to people who resist the change. But it's important to understand uh, how to transition from these buy and hold strategies uh, to buy and develop strategies. Now, of course, you know, it's continuous improvement. It's baby steps, right? And so the key point where we where we start is always buy and hold. It's not so much about, you know, you thinking that, you know, you're going to start with development, right? You know, everyone, when you start off your property journey, it has to be as a first-time investor, it has to be buy and hold, right? Oh, I mean, I guess we've had some people who have gone from, they just dive straight in and it might be renovation or anything. I'd say the majority of, of, of us start off with, and that's what we've been told buy a property, rent it out, or buy a property, live in it. I mean, Australians love, they have a love, absolute love affair with property. Um, but let, let's say the, 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 the majority of us start off with, with buy and hold. So you're sort of first-time investors and you're just getting used to this whole idea of servicing, paying off, you know, um, yes. principal and interest, all the, the basics of property and finance. Like it's yeah. the baby steps, right? Um, so yes. And what does this? I mean, where where do you see in this particular stage where you call what sort of like the foundation stage? Yeah, and so when I think about property as a strategy or property portfolio, building a property portfolio as a strategy, I always think of three things, and it's an ingredient or a mix of three things that defines the recipe when it comes to you transitioning out and building your own, you know, business of property. And so those three key ingredients are yield, growth, mm-hmm. and what I call it is a return. Okay. And everyone knows what the yield is. Yield is annualized rent. Growth is what is market going to give it to you. And the return is basically the manufactured equity component that you, you know, you get out of the property. In the foundational stage, as a first time investor, you should always be focused on the yield and the growth. Because the yield is going to provide you the buffers that your portfolio needs. And the growth is what's going to basically help you catch that, you know, instant equity or, you know, chunky equity in your portfolio without taking excessive risks, without you, you know, trying to shoot the stars at the start. Okay. And so those are the two key things. I think a lot of people where they miss the mark completely is they will chase the growth, but they would not focus on the yield. And mm. so their natural thinking is that, oh, it's either or, but it's not the case. You can get both, right? Yeah. Uh, or you see it on the opposite side where there are people who chase returns and so they, they go for renovations or they go for, you know, full-scale development sites and they don't care about the yields and the growth. And I always say this as a safe startup, you need to focus on yield and growth. Don't worry about manufacturing the equity in the first place as you, you know, get used to the idea of paying the debt um, you know, managing the property, et cetera, managing that, then the baby steps, the next steps naturally becomes, you know, you're transitioning into much more experienced stage. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, we see this a lot where first home in first time investors tend to purchase those negative gear properties where because they tend to be in cities where they're comfortable with they they there's a level of comfort, right? So but then then it affects their serviceability because it's negative B negatively get it affects your cash flow and all of that so i really like that you you're you're stating it 
right up the front to say, you know, it is possible to have growth and yield at the same time. And it's not, it's not exclusively independent of each other. Correct. Yes. And I mean, even like, you know, people who just focus on yield and don't focus on growth, I would say them, they are starting at the wrong foot as well. Because again, you know, the chunky growth is what's going to help you move forward in the future because that is the growth that is the equity money that would use to help you transition into the future right so you know um and again look i mean as an investor myself you know i have done these mistakes in my prior life right you know when i started my own journey you know uh, it was all about you know paper rich and not cash rich right yeah and so it's it's important that you know you learn from your your learnings right and your experience and that's what it comes down to that you know you need to have the right buffers in place in order for you to help you set up to jump, you know, help the grounds, you know, set up right, the foundations right for help you to, you know, move into a much more, what I call it as an experience stage or as as an experienced investor. Mm -hmm. Now, when you move into the experienced investor stage or the expedition stage, the three ingredients of the recipes are still there. So you're still talking about yield, growth and return. The only difference that you're doing now is that you are sacrificing a portion of the yield but you are adding more manufactured return into your portfolio. Mm. The growth is still important. And so you're still thinking about, okay, you need to buy in areas where demand is higher, supply is lower. And that's still the case. But the important thing happens now is that you are sacrificing a portion of the yield in order to introduce the returns. And the reason you do that is because there is enough yield in the overall portfolio to still keep the portfolio sustainable. Okay. I'll use a quick example. Say, you know, you acquire two properties at the start of your property journey and, you know, between the two properties, you are generating, say, 15000 per year in, you know, positive cash flow. The third property that you're acquiring might be, you know, six or 7000 negative and that's fine because that 15 less 6, you know, still keeps you in the positive. Yeah. Right? And, and the reason I say that, you know, people usually ask that question as to, oh, Mas, why would you say that? Because when you are going into the expedition stage, you are talking about, you know, ugly ducklings, you're talking about bigger lands, you're talking about properties that no one wants to rent. And so you're going to push manufacture profits onto that property, right? And so there would be a time where these properties might be negatively geared, but you know, you would have an opportunity to make them positive in the future. And that's yeah. where you create the, the returns for yourself. Yeah. And, and that's where you also, in terms of a knowledge perspective and experience, because you've started off as, as the, the first time investor and you start to understand and continually educate yourself around, oh, I can, you know, there's, there's other avenues of doing this. There's other ways of financing these. There's other ways I can use data, all the things that we've just spoken about, about finding investment grade properties. That's when, so the, the windows open up. Open up. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and holding these development potential properties, I call them development potential properties or properties with returns or properties with value add. Your intention is not to do a development at this stage. You know, you are just building your profile up. What I call it is, you know, you're building your pipeline up. You know, by the time the bank says no, no to you, you would have properties lined up that you can push the DA on and, you know, move on to the next step. Because, you know, we've discussed this in very detail that serviceability is not very important when it comes to developments. And, and so we're breaking that myth or that stereotype that you need serviceability to build something or, or the yeah. bank is going to question your serviceability. 
that was a big light bulb moment for me when I realized, because again, you know, we've been ingrained to think that serviceability was key and you needed to, uh, you know, earn hundreds of thousands of dollars to afford to do a development or whichever. And the moment that I realized that there was a difference, first of all, there was a difference between you know, commercial lending and residential, you know, traditional residential lending and the requirements with both of them, it was like, oh my goodness, why didn't I do this before? Yes. Because they, they, yes, they asked about, you know, commercial lending asks about your assets and liabilities. But in terms of serviceability, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking at the feasibility and they're, they're relying on the weight of the project on its own. So, Definitely. You know, if you sort of think that you've got no serviceability or you think you don't have a job, right? I think even if you don't have a job, it's sort of like, yeah, you're, but you have proven the ability to put projects together. Obviously, the lenders, depending on what sort of lenders, you commercial finance, you've got private lenders, you've got, you know, uh, different tiers of lenders and then which determines how many hoops you have to jump through to get the finance. But what we're saying here is that if you're stuck on serviceability, it is not the end of the world. And you Definitely. don't necessarily have to wait for years and years and years to touch property again. There, This is where you can start to move into strategies that developers, high net worth individuals leverage because not everyone's sort of using other people's money. In a Definitely. Sense. Definitely. And so, you know, extending that exact point, you know, when you are in the expedition stage, you have two of the most important things that the developers would always need. Okay. You have the equity that you've already caught up through mm. market delivering that equity to you. And you control a property that has a development potential that can, you know, deliver for the profits. Right. And now mm. every de developer under the sun wants to talk to you because you have the two most important things. The only thing missing is the, the experience of you doing the development, right? And so there are two different ways. Again, you can do a JV partnership with someone or you can educate yourself and, you know, try doing it yourself at your own pace as well, right? Because you have yeah. these properties lined up in a sustainable property portfolio that is not costing you to hold, right? And so where a lot of developers make a mistake, especially when they're creating that business is because they don't have these properties with buffers in the foundational stage, protecting or creating that sustainable property portfolio, they rush to do the development. I remember 2014 when I did my first project or 13, early 14. I was exactly that. So I was, you know, tunnel focus on just doing and finishing the project, right? And that was the amazing time where I could have bought more. And so one of the regrets that, you know, people ask me as to what you have is I, I say to people, I wasn't aggressive enough at the start of my, you know, property investment journey. I could have, mm -hmm. you know, bought more, but I was so focused on doing the development rather than building that pipeline. And so yeah. when I'm discussing strategies with people, I say to people, look, build the pipeline first, you know, have the pipeline in there in a sustainable fashion. And then developers would talk to you anyway, because developers die, you know, to talk to vendors with properties that can be developed regardless. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, there are various opportunities for you to raise money for a project or find a JV partnership or talk to your own family, you know, to raise that money and, you know, present your project as a profitable project to a, a commercial lender to get that construction finance and off you go from there. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, a reminder that it 
the journey from that first time investor who's buying a, a passive income to that that flip towards being a developer obviously it's not just a a, a a click of a finger and a flick of a switch you know it, it it is as we mentioned a few times it's a journey of growth it's a journey of education and knowledge and networking as well it's making sure you're surrounded 100%. by the people that are going to be part of your a team i know when in previous episodes we talked about who needs to be part of your your superstar a team right so what are what are some really good examples that we can share with the audience to give them a, an idea of what this this sort of transition looks like for particularly when you're when you're about to head into that that new level of going commercial lending high net worth yes know? yes and so naturally you know when you are and uh, i would say about you know 70 to 80% of the investors stay in this zone right you know first time mm-hmm. investing experience investing and they keep bouncing they add a property with high yield they buy a development property they don't need to develop this development properties by the way from my own experience and numbers perspective grow a lot more faster than normal properties in the same suburb on the same street potentially right and so if you have mm-hmm. in melbourne you know i'll give you a quick example have, have a property which is a high residential growth zone and a grz zone on the same street your residential growth zone property would because of the higher density of uh, allowed to it would grow a lot faster than a grz zone property on the same street on the same in the mm. same suburb. Mm. And so even holding these properties makes a lot more sense and so a lot of investors tend to stay in these these lines. And so when you talk about high net worth investing and you're talking about commercial investing or or being a sophisticated investor, the ingredients are still there, those three ingredients you talked about yield, growth and return. As a sophisticated investor what I've realized is that you know high net worth investors they don't care about growth anymore because they don't want the market to deliver that growth to them they don't want to gamble on the market's delivering that growth because they mm. think you know from a cash on cash perspective their mindset is for $1 that i'm putting forward what is the return i'm getting on this $1 okay and so everyone has their own risk appetite you know some would say for every year every dollar that i spend you know i want to make you know 15% cash on cash return on that you know there are people sure. who would chase 25 percent return cash on cash okay and so the 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 mindset becomes really uh fixated on yields and so generating more cash flow and manufactured returns where you can control those returns for yourself you're not so much focused about growth anymore of course you still get growth as a developer you still you know tend to get that growth which is which is icing on the cake but you mm. don't do anything you know in order to catch growth or in order to get growth you know growth is almost like you know number third on the list now and your focus is more on yields and yeah uh, and uh, and returns basically and and that's where the world of you know everything opens up you know if you have say for example between the first two stages you know if you have caught growth between say you know 300 to 500000 dollar um you have a bit of cash flow sitting with you which is say you know you know 100 250 and you have development potential properties you know you can scale up your business to full scale development sites you can go up to land subdivisions you can add yields through you know rooming houses co-living spaces mm-hmm. and so that's where you really start seeing how money makes money right and that's yeah. how you you know really start seeing how you are progressing so fast you know, my first project was one into two. My second project was one into three. And then now I'm doing eight unit sites. And this is a span of like literally nine years, right? And so you yeah. move really, really fast through that cycle. Yeah, yeah. 
and 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 don't you know someone asked me the question around time you know how long does it take to go from this to that you know to go from some the or your first time investor to developer and I, the 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 thing that I said was really it's it's as fast as you want it to be you know and as slow as you want it to be. Yes. It, it all yes. depends on if if you want it to happen a lot quicker, then you've just got to dedicate a lot more of that focus and make it a priority and definitely do all definitely. you need to do. You know, tick off all the things to to get to that point. Um, there's no, there's you know, it's it's the whole how long is a piece of string type type question where definitely it is that there there is time in the market as well. But then again, if you're manufacturing that, then you can speed up, speed up. Definitely, definitely. Well, one thing to caveat this out is that this is not a grow rich quick scheme, right? You know, mm. a lot of people come to me and they say, Moss, I want to be, uh, I want to have a net wealth of, you know, $2 million or $5 million in three years time or two years time. And I say, mm. you know, if I knew a magic pill that you can take, you know, to make a millionaire out of you, everyone would have that pill, right? And yeah. so the dedication is important. The commitment is important, but you need to match your risk appetite. Okay. And so if you are 40 and if you want to retire by 45, then those five years needs to be go, 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 go. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Whereas if you are yeah. 40 and if you want to, you know, phase the retirement to 60, then you can, you know, take it in a much more less aggressive, you know, risk mitigating way. Right. And so yeah. a lot of that comes down to, you know, how close or far your goal is, how big or small your goal is. And, you know, what's your ceiling? And if you have no ceiling, you can go as fast as you want, right? Nothing is stopping you from, you know, climbing up to, to the heights of, you know, the wealth that you want to achieve, yeah. right? So, yeah. And so, yeah, so that's the basic transition that we've talked about, you know, from, you know, I like to call it mediocre investing to high net worth investing. And, you know, it's easy. It's not hard. You know, there's a lot of people who have replicated this. And so I always say to people, you know, go back and find an A team for you to help you get there. Okay. That would be my closing comments. What's your sort of one key takeaway from these two episodes, Cheryl? I think mainly it's around just getting really clear on what you're trying to create in, in life. I talk about goals a lot. I talk about being, all right, this is the point that you want to get. You, and we talk, you know, you mentioned the word strategy a lot. We mentioned strategy and plan. The whole point is going, if you've got something that you're trying to work towards, like reverse engineer to a certain extent what needs to be done at this point where you are to get yes. part. Like if you can do that in your own, that's fantastic. If you, otherwise there are people out there, you know, obviously there's people that are doing this day in, day out, who can guide you to give you a clearer plan. Because the one thing that I would hate to see is that someone gets paralysis analysis and then procrastinates and doesn't take action because they feel like mm. they don't have all the answers. Yes. It's really important about taking action towards what you're trying to, to achieve. And if transitioning from that passive to that more active investing or developing works for you and works for your strategy, then take action towards surround yourself with people. Uh, Definitely. That will support you to get to where you want to be. So yeah, that that's my sort of key takeaway there. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to us today. That was the end of the two part episode. Hope you got something out of this. If you want to reach out to Cheryl or myself, please do join in on our Facebook group. Thank you once again. Keep smiling. Stay safe. 
keep investing. This is more essential. Checking out. Goodbye. Ciao. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Bye.